Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so thrilled to be here and to worship God with you on this Sunday morning. As Pastor Luke mentioned, when we're done here, we have our welcome lunch in the landing. If you have not received a free meal from us, I would love to see you there. I don't know about you, but I love free meals. And so free lunch. Come and get free lunch. We'd love to see you just across the way. Well, this morning we are kicking off a nine-week series through the book of Philippians. And uh, this series title is Philippians, Living as Gospel Citizens. That's the title of this entire series, Philippians, Living as Gospel Citizens. The book of Philippians is four chapters. That's it. It's a small book in the New Testament. And yet, some of the most quoted phrases come from this wonderful little book. Phrases like, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That comes from chapter 1, verse 21. Phrases like, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That comes from chapter 1, verse 6. How about this one? I press on toward the goal to win the prize of the upward call. You can find that in chapter 3, verse 14. And how about this one? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You can find that in chapter 4, verse 13. And that was only a sampling of the many, many familiar phrases that we see in this wonderful little book in the New Testament. Now, on their own, the phrases that I just read, they hold a lot of weight. On their own, they are powerful verses. But I trust that by the time we're done with this series, we will gain an even deeper understanding of these verses as they relate to one another with a bigger picture in mind. And so this morning, to kick off our series, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And the title of this morning's message is Shared Commitment. Shared Commitment. And before we read God's Word in chapter 1, I want to take a moment to have us view a brief portion of an intro video to the book of Philippians, and this was produced by the Bible Project. And this will give us a nice, brief foundation for what we will then embark on and study for the next nine weeks. As you watch this intro video, just keep in mind, the narrator, he moves quickly. He talks fast. And when we're done with the video, I will actually recap the intro video. So don't worry if you miss Something. So with that in mind, let's take a brief couple-minute look at the start of the intro video to Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians. The church in Philippi was the first Jesus community Paul started in Eastern Europe, and that story is told in Acts chapter 16. Philippi was a Roman colony in ancient Macedonia. It was full of retired soldiers, and it was known for its patriotic nationalism. And so there, Paul faced resistance when he was announcing Jesus as the true king of the world. And after Paul moved on from there, those who became followers of Jesus continued to suffer resistance and even persecution, but they remained a vibrant community faithful to the way of Jesus. Paul sent this letter from one of his many imprisonments, and for a very practical reason. The Philippians had sent one of their members, Epaphroditus, to take a financial gift to Paul to support him in prison. And Paul sent back this letter with Epaphroditus to say thank you and to do a whole lot more. The design of this letter doesn't develop one single idea from beginning to end like many of Paul's other letters. Rather, Paul has arranged a series of short, reflective essays or vignettes, and they all revolve around the center of gravity in this letter, which is a poem in chapter 2. It artistically retells the story of the Messiah's incarnation, his life, death, and resurrection, and exaltation. And then in each of these vignettes, Paul will take up key words or ideas from that poem to show how living as a Christian means seeing your own story as a lived expression of Jesus' story. So Paul opens the letter with a prayer of gratefulness, and he thanks God for the Philippians' generosity, for their faithfulness, and he expresses his confidence that the life-transforming work that God has begun in them will continue into greater and more beautiful expressions of faithfulness and love. That was fast, huh? So now we're all experts in the book of Philippians, right? 
Well, Philippi was the first church that Paul started in, as you heard, Eastern Europe. The city still exists today. And I want to show you Philippi on a map in the New Testament. So there you see in relation to Macedonia, it's part of Macedonia, in relation to Greece, you have Italy over there to the west, and you have Asia Minor. And so this is Philippi as it looked during the New Testament times. Now, Philippi was a Roman colony. And again, it was in ancient Macedonia. It took its name from a king named Philip. He was the king of Macedon. And in the video that we just saw, you heard that Philippi as a city, it was known for its patriotic nationalism. So you can imagine when Paul arrived on the scene and he started to preach the true king, Jesus, that he faced resistance and persecution. Paul was thankful for the faithfulness of the Philippian church, especially because even after Paul left the church, after having started it, those in Philippi also faced persecution. And so he was grateful for them. Not only that, they sent Paul a financial gift. They sent it with a man named Epaphroditus while Paul was in prison. And so, in essence, what we have in the book of Philippians is Paul's thank you letter back to the Philippians for their monetary gift. And he took this occasion to go beyond just a thank you letter. He used this occasion to encourage them to live as gospel citizens. And that's our theme for this series, Philippians, living as gospel citizens. And the beauty of this letter is that it speaks to all of us here today in the 21st century as gospel citizens. And so we're going to begin in chapter 1. And I'll read the first two verses to get us going in this series. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul and Timothy arrived in Philippi, they were accompanied by two fellow workers. Their names, Silas and Luke. Now, we don't see their names mentioned here in this greeting. But the beauty of God's word is this. Oftentimes, you can go to another passage in Scripture to set the context for the passage that you're in. As you saw in the video, Acts chapter 16, that is the context. Acts 16 gives us all the background that we need to help us understand what was going on in Philippi. And so here's what it says in Acts 16, verses 9 and 10. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, keep that in mind, Macedonia, standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we, keep that in mind, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You may know this, that the author of the book of Acts is Luke. And Luke is writing about Paul and Timothy and Silas, who he'll name later in chapter 16, and he's including himself. God had called these men to Philippi to start a brand new community. In Philippi, Paul and Silas were arrested, they were beaten, and they were imprisoned. But I want you to see the remarkable thing that happens in prison in Philippi. This is, this is amazing. And I want you to concentrate on the details as I read to you from Acts 16, verses 25 all the way down to verse 
33. This is powerful stuff. So follow along. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. Can I hear an amen? amen. I mean, that is powerful, miraculous stuff that Paul and Silas are in prison and at midnight they start praying and singing. I'd be sleeping. <laughs> at midnight I'm fast asleep. And here's Paul and Silas in prison praying and singing. And I don't want to overlook this most important fact here. The others were listening. The other prisoners, they listened to Paul and Silas praying and singing. In other words, the other prisoners, they were watching Paul and Silas. Did you know that those in our lives who don't know Jesus, our neighbors, our coworkers, our fellow students, perhaps even family members, they're watching us. They're, they're watching us. They're listening to us. They're watching how we react to life's circumstances. So the question is this. Are we complaining? Are we pushing back? Are we demanding? Or are we responding to life's circumstances with grace and even joy? Complaining, pushing back, demanding, that is not the way of Jesus. In fact, we'll learn the way of Jesus later on in this series. And so Paul and Silas, their actions were completely unexpected. And because of their unexpected actions, here's what happened. The church at Philippi was born. What took place in that prison cell was a start of the birth of the church at Philippi. Can you imagine the jailer waking up, thinking, oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble by the warden. And Paul's like, hey, we're still here. We didn't go anywhere. And right then and there, the jailer gave his life to Jesus. Right then and there, the other prisoners, I imagine many of them gave their lives to Jesus. And this church at Philippi, it became very dear to Paul. Did you know that the church of Philippi was not a big church? It was not, it was not a large church. In fact, it was a small church. As far as churches go, it was considered a tiny church. And as far as churches go, it was considered just a working-class church, just ordinary people. You see, because the church of Philippi, that city of Philippi, had a working-class demographic. A very small percentage, less than 3%, was considered wealthy. 30% were considered very poor. That means the rest 
of the population, just hardworking laborers, merchants, farmers, just ordinary people. You might say the church at Philippi had no spiritual giants. They had no spiritual celebrities, but what they had was so much greater. They had faith, they had love, and they were a generous church. That's why they sent a gift to Paul. And that's why Paul was so eager to send this letter of thanks to them. And can you imagine how excited they were to receive this handwritten letter by their spiritual father? Some of you here, you have the gift of letter writing. God bless you. For those of you who have been gifted with letter writing, it is a powerful tool that God uses. You know, personal letters, when they come in the mail, that's becoming like almost extinct. And so for those of you who have the gift of letter writing, I encourage you, continue that because don't you love it when you go to your mailbox and as you set aside all the bills and junk mail, you come across a hand-addressed envelope. It's rare these days, but it is and it's such an encouraging thing to receive a hand-addressed envelope. And I'm not talking about the, the fake hand writing, right? You know, like these junk mailers, they try to fool us with, with like messy font. But they can't fool us. We know when we receive a letter from a friend. This past week, I received a letter from one of you. In the mailbox. It came in a nice, big, colorful envelope. And it was hand-addressed just to me. Just to me, Tim Park. That's it. Just to me. And you know, when I saw that envelope, I was eager to open it up. Because I knew there must be a, such a nice, encouraging card in there. Because it was a big envelope kind of rectangular, not the, you know, the legal size. And so I knew going into that envelope, I would be encouraged. You know how sometimes you, you, you open up something, you go, oh, no, it's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. But this time I opened up this envelope, and I was so blessed. I was encouraged. This person wrote to me to encourage me with no other agenda but just to encourage me. And there's actually a gift card in there as well. <laughs> Double blessing. For those with the gift of letter writing, God bless you. Keep up the wonderful work. The Church of Philippi, they were so excited to receive this letter from their spiritual mentor because they had this shared commitment. They were partners in the gospel. You know, in our series that we just concluded on the church, we talked about partnership, didn't we? We talked about the difference between a partner and an acquaintance. We talked about the difference between a partner and a critic. Remember that, right? A critic says, why do you do it that way? The partner instead asks, can we try it this way? The critic sees a piece of trash on the ground and thinks, someone should pick that up. The partner quietly picks it up and places it in the trash. And here's the thing about partnership. Partnership is so much more rewarding, so much more fulfilling than be a critic, isn't it? Partnership is so much better than being a critic. Now, partnership takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of investment. But it is so rewarding. And speaking of investment, it's difficult to speak about partnership without talking about money. I mean, after all, Paul's purpose in writing this letter was because he wanted to thank the Philippians for their financial partnership. Very few things in life, I found, create as strong a bond as money. Isn't that true? 
Money, it, it forms a strong bond. It's a powerful bond. And that's why Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can find that passage in Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus meant was, you know, when we store our treasures, and in particular in heaven, here's what's going to happen. Our hearts will follow. We'll be interested in the things of heaven. Jesus says, stockpiling your wealth in heaven is far safer than here on earth. Because here on earth, there are moths. There's rust. There are thieves. A couple weeks ago, I went to put on my favorite suit for an occasion. I opened up my closet, took my suit out of my garment bag to put it on for a special occasion. I took the coat off its hanger, pulled the pants off, and I looked at the pants, and I was ready to put on the pants, only to discover like a dozen holes in my suit pants. No! The moths got to my favorite suit. By the way, here's a fun fact. Or maybe it's not a fun fact, but it's not the moths that we see flying around that make holes in your sweaters. Because moths, at that stage of adulthood, they have no mouths. So, here's what happens. A female moth deposits fertilized eggs onto your clothes. Up to a thousand fertilized eggs. She finds clothing that she deems fit for her babies. Like my suit pants. And they land, and then they, the larvae, eat away at your clothes. Think about that the next time you find a hole in your sweater. Or in my case, my suit pants. Now, Jesus is not prohibiting us from investing and making wise choices here. In fact, the Bible says to be good stewards and to work hard to take care of our families. But ultimately, what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 is that heaven is a much safer place to stockpile our wealth because there are no moths, there is no rust, and there are no thieves. And that's why Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, what does that mean? It's important to know what that means because Oftentimes, Christians, they mean well, but they quote that verse in reverse order. Oftentimes, they mistakenly say, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be. When in fact, Jesus completely reverses it. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In other words, where we put our treasure, that's where our hearts will follow. Sometimes Christians think, well, if I love God so much, if he has blessed me so much, if it's been such a great season, then I will give to him. And Jesus says just the reverse. You put your treasure where God is working, and then your heart will follow. Last week, we held our annual youth camp offering. And once again, God provided through your generosity. Last week, we collected over $5,000 for our annual youth camp offering. Yes, you can clap for that. Did you know that when you give to support our annual youth camps, you're making a heavenly investment? You may not even know some of the students. But that's okay, because here's what's going to happen. As you give, you will think about them more. On Friday, our junior high students, they came back from a week at Forest Home Christian Camp. This morning early, our high schoolers gathered in the parking lot to make their way up to Hume 
Christian camp. And so as we speak, our students are on the bus headed up to Hume. And each year, God uses these camps to spiritually nurture these students. And isn't it wonderful to know that your investment will mean that some of these students, God willing, all of them, they will walk with Jesus 10, 20, 30 years later. Some of them may serve overseas full-time as missionaries. Some might go into the ministry. And so our investment is heavenly. So thank you for your generosity. Where we put our treasure, that's where our hearts will follow. And so Paul and the Philippians, they shared this bond because of their partnership in the gospel. The Philippians, they blessed Paul with a financial gift. Paul, in turn, blessed them with this letter of thanks and encouragement. And they had this shared commitment. And so in our time remaining, I want to share with you three things that happen when partners have a shared commitment. Three things that happen when partners have a shared commitment. Number one, they think about each other often. When partners have a shared commitment, they think about each other often. It makes sense. We think about the people we care about. When Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church, he was under house arrest in Rome, chained to a guard at all hours. He couldn't move around freely. So Paul had a lot of time to think and a lot of time to write. And here's what he wrote in verses 3 through 6. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. Remember, partners think about each other often. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And so every time Paul thought about the Philippian church as he was chained to his guard, he thanked God for them. Now, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the guard who was chained to Paul. Can you imagine being chained to Paul and then kind of peeking over at his letter? Oh, you're writing to them again? You're always thinking about them. You're always talking about them. You're always thanking God for them. They, they must be special to you. Again, when you're in prison, right, you have a lot of time on your hands. When you're in prison, you have a lot of time to think. I don't know that firsthand, okay? <laughs> I don't know that firsthand, but this past week I did read a forum. I was on a blog, and I read comments from former inmates on what they think about while they are in their prison cells. And I found this blog very fascinating. I read all these interesting comments, and I thought I'd share a portion of a comment made by a former inmate on what he would think about in his prison cell 24-7. He wrote this, I spent a lot of time thinking about who I was. I spent a lot of time thinking about who I was, who I wanted to be, and how I could become that man. And in prison, there is a lot of free time to do that if one desires. I am married and have young children. My wife was awesome through this difficult time and kept me connected with my children. She and I were able to talk on the phone just about every day. And our relationship actually grew while I was in prison as we connected in ways we hadn't before I went in. Now, uh, if you want to strengthen your marriage, I, I don't advise going to jail, okay? <laughs> That's not the point of this, all right? There are better ways to strengthen your marriage than deliberately going to prison. So don't do that. He concludes with this, and I found this to be very fascinating. He said, I was a Christian before I went into prison. And then he wrote in parentheses, a redeemed sinner, obviously not a good person. And I was really able to spend a lot of time building my relationship with God. It's amazing how you can have so little in your 9 by 7 cell and yet feel the want 
for nothing. So it appears that this man made the most of his time while he was in prison. That was encouraging. Paul made the absolute most of his time while under house arrest in Rome as he would write to his loved ones in Philippi. For Paul, he didn't suffer from this out-of-sight, out-of-mind syndrome. He thought about his brothers and sisters daily, regularly. Oftentimes during the week, I'll think about the members of our church. I often think about you. And even if I can't tell you personally, I think about you throughout the course of the week. Now, I, I have the advantage of being up here and speaking, so I get to see all of you for, you know, 35, 40 minutes every Sunday. So pretty much I know every single person who's been at church that Sunday. <laughs> Scary, isn't it? And so if I don't see you, I miss you. When I see you, I'm so happy to see you. You know, I think about you often. And, and so that's what happens when partners spend time, they think about each other. And when you come to church, you see your friends, you see others here, and you, you connect with them, and you think about them through, throughout the course of the week. It's only natural. Partners think about each other often. Amen. 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 It's a wonderful thing to think about each other on a regular basis. And I hope that you know that there are people here at church who are thinking about you on a regular basis. I, I hope and I'm confident that there are at least a handful of people in your midst who think about you throughout the course of the week. Perhaps they might, even drop, they might even drop an email or a text message. Hey, I've been thinking about you. That's what partners do. Secondly, here's what happens when partners have a shared commitment. They develop a heart for each other. This is like one step even deeper than thinking about them. Partners, they develop a heart for each other. Now, parents... Those of you who have more than one child, do you have a favorite child? Don't answer that. Don't, don't answer that. Don't shake your head, okay? If you have more than one child, do you have a favorite child? It's an interesting question, right? My favorite daughter is Amanda. And my favorite son is Andrew. I'm thankful that I have one of each, and that's it. I'm not saying that Paul had a favorite church, but if he did have a favorite church, if he had a favorite church, it was probably the church of Philippi. He developed a deep heart for them. Here's what he writes in verses 7 and 8. I want you to pay attention to the words of emotions as I read these Two verses. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can you just feel? the emotion in Paul's writing. You don't write this way to just anybody. You write this way to people you love, people you care about, partners. Partners develop a heart for each other. And this goes one step deeper than just thinking about each other. That's good. It's good to think about each other. When we develop a heart, it takes the thinking and puts it into action. It moves us to action. Paul's heart for the Philippian church moved him to action. What kind of action? 
This is important. Suffering. Paul had such a heart for the church of Philippi that he suffered for them. What parent would not gladly take the suffering away from his or her child and bear that suffering? Any parent in his or her right mind would gladly take the suffering from his or her child and say, I will bear it. And it's not something that you do in a forced way. All right, it's my duty as your parent to take on your suffering. No, this happens because we have a heart for our loved ones. It just comes naturally. You cannot hide emotions. You cannot force emotions. They just happen. And Paul had this genuine heart for the Philippian church. When Andrew and Amanda were much, much younger, Andrew was a toddler. Amanda was a baby. Every so often, Andrew, every so often, he would cry when Amanda was sleeping. And I would say, Andrew, Andrew, shh, don't cry. You'll wake Amanda. I'm like, please, stop crying. And here's Andrew crying, and he's trying his best to stop crying. And oftentimes, in order to stop crying, here's what he would do. <gasps> he would stick his finger in his mouth to make himself stop crying, but then he would just shake and cry silently. It was so cute. I was so thankful he tried his best to stop crying so that his little sister could stay asleep. But the reality is we can't just turn off and on our emotions. In fact, God has blessed us with the wonderful mystery of emotions. I don't always understand emotions, but God has blessed us with the wonderful mystery of emotions. And that's the kind of heartfelt love that Paul had for the church at Philippi. His love was so deep that oftentimes it would move him to tears. And I know many of you, your love for your church family is so deep that it can move you to tears. It can move you to tears of joy when you celebrate with other church members. It can move you to tears of sadness and grief and mourning when others hurt. Here's the thing about heartfelt emotions. They don't happen overnight. Developing a heart for each other, it often takes many, many years to develop that type of heart. When you become partners, what happens is, as partners, over the years, God will give you a deeper love for those partners. So please understand, maybe you've been here at our church for a few weeks, a month, a couple months. Please know that it'll take many years to develop a deep heart for fellow members of the body of Christ. And my encouragement is, give God the opportunity to develop your heart over those many, many years. Paul and the Philippian church, they developed a heart for each other. It was not forced upon them. They just loved each other deeply because they had a shared commitment. And thirdly, what happens when partners have a shared commitment? They pray for each other. When people pray for me by name, something powerful happens. When people pray for you by name, doesn't something powerful happen? One, it lifts your spirits. Two, it fixes your eyes on Jesus. Here's what Paul writes in verses 9 through 11. 
And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The one thing that was always absent from Paul's prayer was empty fluff. The one thing that you will never find in Paul's prayers, in all his letters, is empty fluff. You know what fluff is? When I say fluff, fluff is, is superficial, empty, meaningless words. It's just fluff. Paul's prayers were never melodramatic or flowery. They were weighty. They had substance. Paul's prayers were not eloquent. They were deep and weighty. And by the way, your prayers don't have to be eloquent and articulate to be weighty. And sometimes eloquence gets in the way of weighty prayers. We have the privilege of praying for one another as partners in the gospel. And this prayer that Paul prayed, it is powerful. He prays that they will be pure, that they will be blameless, that they will be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, that's an important term, fruit of righteousness. What does Paul mean by that? The fruit of righteousness. Well, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that practical righteousness results from legal righteousness. I'll say that again. Practical righteousness results from legal righteousness. Now, what do we mean by legal righteousness? The moment God saved us, here's what happened. He imputed righteousness to us. And whose righteousness was that? Christ Jesus. It was his righteousness that God imputed to us. We were given the righteousness of Christ. It is not our own righteousness. And here's the power of Christ's righteousness. Once we received it, it gave us the ability to practice it. So we take Christ's righteousness and we produce the fruit of righteousness, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So that's Paul's prayer for the Philippians. This week, would you try something? If you're up to this task, try this. Take this prayer, verses 9 through 11, think of a church member, and then in your mind as you're praying this out loud, insert that person's name in this prayer. So when Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love, you insert someone's name in there, may abound more and more in the knowledge and the depth of insight. Would you try that this week? Maybe during your devotional, take this prayer, insert a name from our church family, and pray this for them. In the summertime, most of our life groups, we take a break in the summer, which means we're not meeting in the summer. So when we're not meeting, we don't have as many opportunities to pray for one another. That's why this week, maybe on the night that you typically meet or the day that you typically meet, devote some time praying for a life group member and pray this prayer for them. Yes, it's good to pray for one another's health. That's important. Yes, it's important to pray for that person's loved one. That's great. That's important. But imagine if we prayed this prayer. Imagine if someone prayed this, Tim, that your love will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Tim, that you would be pure and blameless. Tim, 
that you would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. We all need each other. We all need each other. Imagine if each one of us was praying this prayer for at least one person this week. What happens when partners have a shared commitment? They think of each other often. They develop a heart for each other. And they pray for each other. Would you bow with me? Father, we are just so thankful for this letter to the Philippian church. And it never ceases to amaze me how a letter written centuries ago speaks as if it was written specifically for us. We thank you, God, that your word is everlasting. We thank you, God, that we can journey through this wonderful book. And as we do so, help us to be more and more like Jesus each and every day. And as we grow in our commitment to one another, it's going to be so much more rewarding to do just that. So thank you for what you'll do in and through this series. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we close with our final song, I'm excited to share, and we shared this a few weeks ago, that next Sunday we are welcoming our new director of children's ministry. Yes. You see Melissa Laboso and her family, her husband Tony, and their three daughters. As we speak, they are on the road. They are making a cross-country road trip from Florida to Southern California, and they'll be moving into their new home this week, and next Sunday will be their first Sunday with us. Families who have children in our children's ministry, next Sunday you'll have an opportunity to meet and greet our new director of children's ministry. We'll have a lunch provided for you in the landing across the way after second service. So families who are part of our children's ministry, we invite you, encourage you to attend that meet and greet. So there's the Lobozo family. They'll be with us next Sunday. And speaking of our children's ministry, I'm so thankful that for the last year, 10 months, God has faithfully provided for our children's ministry. And I want to bring up our interim director, Linda Merrill. Please have a seat. For the last year and 10 months, we're approaching two years, Linda has served faithfully as our interim director. Now, we have many new families who've been part of our church for under, like, two years, and you're thinking, well, hasn't she been our director all along? You don't know anything else, right? And so you may not have known that a year and 10 months ago, as we approached Linda and asked if she would serve as our interim director, at that time I said, Linda, maybe three, four, five months. That, that's it. Yeah, maybe, maybe three, four, five months will you serve as our director until we find somebody else. And then that turned into like six, seven, eight months, and then 12 months, and so on and so on. And every step along the way, Linda was so gracious. And she said, I'm eager and ready to do whatever you need, and I'll continue serving until our director comes. And we're so grateful for Linda. You know, under her leadership for the last year and 10 months, uh, she's not just maintained. Uh, you know, God has used her and our entire team 
to allow our children's ministry to thrive. And it's been wonderful to see the growth of our children's ministry and the growth of all the families. And something special is happening. And there could not be a greater gift to our new director than a thriving ministry. And so we're thankful. And so, uh, Linda, would you just share a few words with your church family? Thank you, Tim. Thank you, church family. Uh, you know, we have a tradition of excellence in children's ministry at AFRI, and that was handed on to me. And so taking that on was uh, a little daunting, actually, but a privilege at the same time. And it was really something I wanted to continue. And so I'm, I'm so excited to hand this off to Melissa because she's amazing. I think she's going to be wonderful, and I'm just so excited to hand it off to her. And I think she'll continue that tradition and go even bigger and better with it. So I'm excited about that. And children's ministry cannot run without volunteers. And I just want to say thank you to all of you. Some of you stayed to help me. Some of you uh, have been volunteering for years. And some of you said yes to me over the last two years. Yes, I'll help. And I tell you, we can't do it without volunteers. So thank you, all the volunteers. They're probably all downstairs in the basement right now. <laughs> but I thank them. And I want to thank our, our ministry staff who welcomed me with open arms to the team. And they've supported me and cared for me and prayed for me through this and, uh, and helped so much. I've learned so much being a part of that team. And there's also a team that you guys may not know about. We have a a staff here that works behind the scenes in the office, the office staff and the, the facilities manager. And they are amazing. Joanne's sitting right here. I think Elaine walked out, but I couldn't do it without them. They are just so great, and I'm so grateful. And I, I just want to say, too, that it was so fun getting to know you parents. I have been in the basement for many years working with your children, and, and these past couple years I had the opportunity to get to know you and to partner with you in Parent Partners and um, just talking in the hallways and yelling at some of you on Wednesday nights from the landing doors. I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> parents, come get your kids. <laughs> so it's been great. And these partnerships with parents, with volunteers, and with staff will continue because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I'm just going to be the children's ministry assistant, and I'll be around. So I like to continue all those partnerships. And before I leave this stage, I need to give the glory to the one who deserves it. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen? Amen. I also want to give a special thanks to Linda's mom, Jeannie Finley. Um, she, she's such a uh, special member of our church family. And, uh, you know, you never stop being a mom, right? No matter how old your children are, you never stop being a mom. And, and Jeannie has been a wonderful mom to, to Linda. And so we're thankful for you, Jeannie.